Hello and welcome to Never Press News, the podcast which will give you an insight into the lives and minds of the most motivated and inspirational people I have the pleasure of knowing. I'm Tony Musgrave and this is Never Press News. Hello, welcome to Never Press News, episode 11. We're getting them out thick and fast at the minute. I met with Sherry Miles late last week and managed to tie Miles Lewis down to a podcast for this week on the uh, on the Monday evening. So uh, thank you very much, mate. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, buddy. So I assume by now you've listened to all of them. You know exactly what the podcast is about. So this whole podcast is about me um, sitting down a little while ago and looking at people who I had met throughout my life, throughout all different circles of where I'd been, the gym, the army, any of these places, and uh, trying to map out who the people who had an impact on me at that time. And you was on there, mate. I hope you don't mind. I picked oh, you I appreciate well. it. I appreciate um, it massively. That's inspired me. Um, we haven't known each other a massive amount of time, um, but every interaction that we have had, I take value from it. I buzz off what you are trying to achieve and what you want. I see someone who's got development and growth at the forefront of their mind all the time, and that's why you're on the list, mate. So welcome to the show. Uh, let's see what you've got for us over the next hour or so. Brilliant, mate. Cheers. Um, so can you remember where we met? Uh, we met in a small forest uh, in the Netherlands in uh, the early 80s. It was an emotional, <laughs> romantic trip. It uh, was. <laughs> no, that is not where we met. <laughs> <laughs> no, we met uh, at the gym. Is that right? Yeah. Um, there's a little bit of a story behind it. So um, basically, I went into the gym. It's a new gym that I joined. And there was a sign up in the changing rooms and... I'm never really satisfied with um, my own hair and never satisfied what people do with it. So I saw this sign up and it said, stag and dagger, new barbers, opening, uh, opening soon at the gym. So uh, a couple of days later, the sign was up still. So I went to the little um, barber's shop that was at the top of the stairs at Rip Gym, sat down in the chair and had my head absolutely butchered, right? And I was fuming when I got out of there. And uh, what I realized is that wasn't actually your barbers. It was the people who were getting evicted the week before you joined. So they butchered <laughs> my hair. I had to come back two weeks later when you was all settled in, ready to go, and meet you with, uh, with a badass haircut that you needed to sort out. So that's how I was introduced to you. I do remember. I do remember. You were like, I came here. And you're like, yeah, no, that wasn't us. <laughs> well, I was, I was just opening this new shop halfway through my bad haircut, saying, "Oh, you're opening the new shop," and the guy went, "No, nah, mate, we're getting evicted. It's someone else, stag and dagger." So I was raging. Probably should have done my homework first, but but that's how we met, mate. And a couple of weeks later, I come into the shop, and you was in there, and uh, we hit it off. We have something big in common. We're both Manchester United fans. Um, I I live in Essex now, so I'll let you away with being an Essex red. Um, but yeah, we, uh, we've been we've been in regular contact ever since. Yeah, almost for every three weeks since what? Nearly oh, two years ago. More, two years, yeah, yeah, yeah over watched, two years. Yeah. We've watched Manchester United get worse and worse over that period. I think so. Grad- gradually, gradually, just getting <laughs> worse and worse and worse. Worse, and mate. then and then 
we have an 11 game run and then uh, the coronavirus pops up and it's like yeah whatever yeah exactly but like we were saying just off anyone who's listening to this is a Liverpool fan it don't really count if you win the league this year nobody really cares who wins the coronavirus COVID-19 Premier League so oh, 100% let them have oh. it what I would say, Tone, is uh, I think everyone won the league this year just because everyone took part and it's been such a difficult kind of a season for everyone. I wouldn't say there is a clear winner. I'd say we're all clear winners just because like this that. Because of the no virus. Clear, but they've got how many points ahead of everybody else? I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know. I don't, I don't, really pay, attention. I don't pay attention to it. Good answer. Um, so... <laughs> It's a bit of an intro about yourself, mate. Let everybody know who you are, what it is you do, and uh, we'll go from there. Um, thank you, Tone. Appreciate it. Um, I'm Miles Lewis. I'm a lumberjack by a trade. Um, I also sell guinea pigs uh, part-time. Um, and that's pretty much me in a nutshell. Nah, <laughs> I'm talking rubbish. Basically, my name's Miles Lewis. I'm a barber, um, business owner. Um, Osmo hair product ambassador and an all-round good time chap, which is which I'd like to say is pretty much the bio of me. Um, I work at Miles and Co in Benfleet. Uh, we've been open well, literally just a year, which is a sad way to spend our birthday, our first year of uh, opening being closed. But um, yeah, it is what it is, I suppose. Um, I have been a barber for five, five or five years in August, or six years in August. One of the no, five years in August. I've been, I've been barbering for. Beforehand, I was into like sales, marketing, things like that. And then uh, I hit the big bad barbering world, and kind of just trying to push forward with it, trying to inspire people into the barbering thing. And uh, yeah, I'm here now. Love it. You um you mentioned there you're a Osmo Products ambassador. Is that what you said? Yes. What does that even mean, mate? So Osmo is a hair product company. Uh, they do styling products, hair color, um, and everything in between, pretty much. And what they you you probably seen the products that we have at work tone, and a lot of people listening will have, probably have be familiar, quite familiar with the products. It's Osmo. Uh, because a lot of barbershops use them and a lot of hairdressers use them. So what I, the way I got in there with Osmo is they had me on stage one year. Uh, they liked me. And then the next year they booked me to host their stage at Salon International, which is like the Europe's biggest hair and beauty and barbering kind of show. So I did that. And then after that, they asked me to be an ambassador. So, I represent their brand. Uh, we do a lot of um, work behind the scenes, trying to better products, trying to work with products, trying to advertise products. Um, and then I do shows with them, and they they uh, they look after me a lot. And I, I work with an amazing team with them guys. Yeah, I've seen some of the uh, the pictures on Instagram. I've seen some of the live videos. You look you look at home, mate. That's for sure. When you're on that stage with that microphone in your hand, so uh, looks like a pretty cool gig. Yeah, no, it is fun. I really enjoy it. Um, and as I said, the team behind us and the team with us. So we've got a few ambassadors. Um, 
and then there's like the team, like the management team and stuff behind us. Like just an amazing, amazing group of people. I've worked with brands in the past. I've been ambassadors for other, other um, like international brands, and the support I get from Osmo and and the love and the appreciation is 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 completely different to what I've ever got with any other brand. Awesome, mate. And um, you mentioned there that we've known each other a couple of years, so yeah. uh, I've got some intrigue to see how what. Miles Lewis was like as a young boy growing up. So um, tell us a bit about your youth, where you grew up, what school you went, what you did, and uh, how you got into adult life and then on into barbering after that. Let's see where that takes us. Yeah, so I am originally not from Essex. I'm from South Hertfordshire, Brinking on North London, in a little town called Potter's Bar, population of about 20,000 people. Um, I grew up there. Um, pretty much all my life. Moved to a place in Bedfordshire for a year called Sandy. Then we moved back literally to the day a year later um, due to family shit and stuff like that. So I've only literally lived out of uh, Potter's Bar for, for a year of my life until I moved up to Essex. But I went to secondary school, Mount Grey Secondary School over in Potter's Bar. Um, left there in 2004. Did a lot of messing about before I, I I was the kind of person who I didn't want to work really, if I'm honest. Um when I was younger I used to do a, like I used to smoke a lot of weed and stuff like that when I was in my younger years. Um and then kind of fell into I know after school I went to college um, the music production, music uh, recording, um, live performance and stuff like that, um, which was really good because I was into all that back then. Um, and then from there, I fell into sales, um, started off like the usual working in a tele sales sell call center, trying to sell double glazing. And I had kind of like the gift of the gab and I was doing really well compared to all the other people we had working there. But I left there without even ever being paid because I never wanted to go back there because it was such a toxic environment. So I just mic dropped, did my thing, didn't even get paid. I remember getting on the bus home thinking, I can't be asked for this, I'm not doing it. So I didn't do that. But then there's more opportunities doing more sales roles. Um, working up in Hatton Garden, I worked with a jewellery company where I was a uh, uh, like the head of valuations, so I was testing precious metals, etc., etc. And then from there, from my jewelry background, I kind of went into a family friend's business, like a family run business with family friends of mine doing jewelry, marketing, and sales again, design work, etc., etc. And then it wasn't for me at all time, and um, it was putting me really low. So I've all I've I've suffered with mental health for about ten, eleven years now. Um and I yeah, where I was working was there was no windows, no natural daylight, anything like that, and it was just getting me down. I rolled over to my missus and said, Babe, I am gonna become a barber. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna teach myself of <clears throat> excuse me. I teach myself off YouTube tutorials and uh, I'm going to open a barbershop in my, in our spare room, which we've got 
so we live in a townhouse, like a three-story townhouse, and we have like a spare kind of small room. And she was like, okay, whatever. We had a bit of a conversation about it, and she was supportive. So I rolled over to my missus, said, oh, I'm going to do barbering. I'm going to I'm gonna put all these products and start and might get a mirror, and et cetera, et cetera. It was pretty makeshift, if I'm honest. By saying that, I just felt like I needed to do. I watched a video online called Barbering Saved My Life by um, a barber in America, um, and it really struck home with me. So I thought to myself, do you know what? I'm going to do this. I'm going to teach myself. I'm going to do it off YouTube, and I'm just going to master it. I, like anything, if if I can teach myself anything through YouTube, if you know what I mean, we're at a generation now where you can teach yourself vital skills from just looking online. So I thought to myself, so I thought to myself, let's do it. So I did that, um, and I was still working marketing and stuff. So I did a month of free haircuts just so I could like get people in. People were coming in. I was doing these free haircuts for people, and then um, I got an opportunity to go to the London School of Barbering in Covent Garden. Um, so I went there, did that. Um, how did that, how did that come about? Then for someone who's taught himself in the spare bedroom to uh, being invited to London School of Albums. So the opportunity I got was literally I got it I got it funded through a family trust that we have. Um, so it costs about four grand to do, and it was two two nights um, a week from March to September, basically. So and literally, I didn't have the money to front up, so I got. Um, I got loaned money from the family trust, basically. So moving forward from there, did that, smashed it as much as I could. Um, I finished about a month early, so I finished in the August, um, and left my job. By that time, I b- b- well, basically before um, I finished my course, I was already working at a barber shop full time by a about halfway through so I'd left my job in marketing and sales for this jewellery firm over in Langdon and from there I was so there was a there was a advert on Gumtree barbershop manager wanted for new barbershop and this is me like halfway through my training I was like yeah I'm going for it so I spoke to the geezer when I did him a haircut he was happy. He had a shop, on a parade of shops over in Benfleet, um, a place called Thundersley, which is like a small village, about five-minute drive from my shop now. <clears throat> and I was working there. He he had a shop for disability scooters, wasn't selling, making no money, so he wanted to put a barbershop in there. He put a barbershop in there, and I was like the face of it. It was called the Barber Lounge. Um, so I was working there, shutting early two days a week so I could go to college to learn how to do what I was doing full time by that time um, so I jumped straight in the deep end running a barbershop after a year I left and then I jumped to a load of different barbershops just to learn my trade I started a charity Found well, it wasn't a charity we did charitable um, events called Gorilla Barbering um, so we used to do like pop-up events in London just to raise awareness for the homeless. Um, yeah, I um, I remember you telling me about that one. Gorilla, what gorilla event? Gorilla barbering. Yeah. So, so what we, what 
that do because I'm really interested in this because uh, I know you've mentioned a few times about these pop-up events and for the homeless. Tell us a little bit about them, mate. So I had um, me and a friend started off. Um, I said to him, I've got an idea. Do you want to go ahead and do it? He was like, yeah. So we um, started rolling with it. Um, I had help from a few other barbers. Um, it was myself, a guy called Luke, um, Sam Capagna. Um, we all started moving forward. Chris um, Austin as well. These are all local barbers and barbers from Hertfordshire and stuff. And then we got someone called Nathan Bradbury involved and then Alex Perry and then all these other names that started helping us with it and it just started snowballing. Um, we got a lot of funding from all different companies like Andis, Wall, um, Dapper Dan, Shave Doctor, all these names that would literally just were putting loads of money in. Well, not I wouldn't say loads of money. They were they were contributing their their wares so we could have some sort of awareness of when we were doing these events. What so, was the what was the target? What was the point of them then? What was you trying to achieve with it? All? So the premise of it was we'd hire out a shop in uh, like Brick Lane, uh, like East London, and it would be free haircuts all day. Feel free to leave a donation. You can buy some of the products that some of the companies have sent us. Uh, you can buy some of the whatever's, clippers and stuff. Just It was more just to raise awareness for for like the homeless charities we were working with at the time. So it was just an event just so people could feel good, feel better, support the movement and uh and pretty much just have a nice haircut really. Um so that took us so when I was doing that, that that was when I was still at the barber lounge, probably a couple months in, I started that charity though I say charity, it was not it wasn't a charity, it was we were doing charitable events just to help raise awareness and a bit of money for the likes of like Crisis and Centerpoint and places like that. Um, but that was, yeah, it was really good. So that kind of propelled me into the limelight a little bit of Barbara. Um, yeah, so people... it looked like, looked like some names start to appear on that list then that you give out. Pretty key local barbers from around the areas, Essex area. You said they're a little bit North London and people yeah. started... Well, that's it. And people would travel down from Milton Keynes. We had a guy called Greg McCarlane. Mac- I used to call him Greg McCarlane, but yeah, McCarlane. Um, <laughs> he came down from Milton Keynes to help. We had people coming up like this for the first event. We had people coming up from um, south, like um, what? Wow, wow, my mind's gone blank. What's the what's the, the most southern place in England? Southampton, Portsmouth. Yeah, Brighton. Um, Brighton. Yeah, like, um, oh, what's it called? I've got a blank tone. Bottom, right, bo- bottom left, Land's End. Where's that? End, mate. Cornwall. Cornwall. Yeah, we have people from come up from Cornwall. People come down from all over the gaff. Um, covered by London Live, the TV show or TV channel on on Sky, and yeah, so we did a couple of those events. Uh, propelled me a little bit so people knew who I was a bit more, uh, which was really good. So the original premise was just to do something nice and let people know who you are. That that was the original premise, and then it snowballed, and we did a couple of a couple of events. We did a lot of like shows, 
And then that kind of got us out there in magazines, trade magazines and, and, and stuff like that. And then from there, I was pinging all over the place, different barbershops here and there. I'd do like four months in one, for like half a year in another, year in one, until it came all the way around to me opening my own shop. And that's just, where we met. Yeah, just bef- that was at Stag and Dagger. But just before we go on, like to that point of you opening your first place, um, yeah. you mentioned before that in one of your previous roles about a toxic environment. And then I love the fact that you didn't like the environment you were in, so you changed it and made it your own version. And I know we'll touch on that when we talk about Miles and Co. We start to talk about that blend of socialising, that brand that you're trying to create, socialising and barbering, being a an event rather than a 30-minute session, more like a, a way of life. And I know you're massively keen on that. But I want yeah. to dig into what that toxic environment was and why it was chipping away at your mental health why it was having an impact on you. Because I'll be sure there's people listening out there who are either, A, in a, in a toxic environment, B, B, they've been in one, or, you know, C, we're going to give them the tips here to avoid those environments. Once they start to detect it, this is what you're seeing, get out of there because it's not good for your mental health. What was that like? So, re- uh, I wouldn't say recently, well, kind of recently, within the like my barbering career, I've had... Um, a couple, a few, two or three toxic environments that I've had to get myself out of. Um, one was talking. See, I don't want to really name names too much because no. I'm not. I'm not about hotting these people up. But the way I dealt with it. So one was um, where I was representing a brand. Um, it was. I wasn't. I felt I wasn't being recognised to the extent I should have been, uh, all because I didn't brown nose a certain person, basically. Um, So I will never, I will never overly blow smoke up anyone's arse if I don't think they deserve it. If I think you're doing really well, Tone Knight, you know I am, I'll praise you, I'll rate you, I'll say well done. If I think there's like, like I like the saying, uh, beware false prophets because there's a lot of that going on uh, you know how people promise people the world and then reality comes down to it and that and that's basically what what happened with with me in, the, in a couple of things um, and the way I dealt with it rather than did, talking about who it was with because I don't want to upset anyone because ultimately I don't want to make people feel bad so how I deal with things like that is just removing myself. Um, it's, it's, it's hard to explain. So if you're in a toxic workplace or if you're in a toxic relationship, not necessarily a romantic relationship, but relationships with, with people or friends, you've just got to distance yourself because there's nothing more important than you, which I learned recently from doing counselling with... with um, with obviously a counsellor. So she 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 kind of told me, look after yourself, look after number one. I've got low self-esteem. I don't respect myself as much as I do other people. Stop trying to make other people happy. Stop stop worrying about other people because I care too much about other people. So it kind of, it struck home when I realised that I'm stressing myself out about other people's problems that weren't anything to do with me. I was always just trying to help too much. So 
from these toxic places that I've been that were getting me down and just putting stress on me and people were ultimately taking the piss out of me, I just shut it down and was like, okay, I'm gone. And I've removed myself out of the situation. And I know people, so say you're in a, you're in a, a job that you don't like and it's toxic and you're getting bullied and you're getting people talking to you like a dickhead. People are always like trying to put you down. Um, leave. You're worth more than that. So I always feel that no matter what you do, you don't, you don't live your life working for to do anything for anyone because ultimately you're more important than the person you're working for. And I know that sounds stupid because I am a boss, um, but I feel that you've got to be happy doing what you do. And if there's an inkling and then a month later you've still got that, just get out because there's so many jobs out there. People say, oh, it's hard to get jobs, etc." which it is, but not if you've got enough about you to put yourself out there and graft. So, yeah. yeah I agree with you. I've, I've written down your... Uh... You quote beware false prophets, mate. That'll be uh, that'll be going up on the uh, Instagram posts later when I get a chance to edit this and and send it out there. So yeah, and I love that that people will promise you the world, but I suppose ultimately you're in control of your own destiny. And it yeah. is easy to say, and so many people will have the exact same approach as what you're saying. Oh well, it's all right now for you because you've got yourself in the situation, and hopefully some of the things that we're able to get out of this hour or so in this podcast is that it hasn't always been perfect for Miles Lewis or for other people that have been on the podcast as well. But what they do is they recognize that they understand how important they are within that situation. And that generally the best way to get away from it is to just remove yourself and start your own version of it. And I know for a fact, having been into Miles and Co on a number of occasions, that is not a toxic environment to work. People come to work there because they enjoy the environment. They want to be in there. There's a buzz about it. And for me, you've got to do that. If you want to do some, if you're going to do something for a long time and we spend most of our time at work, you've got to be buzzing about that because if you're not, well, I can only imagine it drives you down. Yeah, 100%. 100%. And that's why, so if we're moving on now, like from <clears throat> you saw me at my first shop that I opened, that's where we met. And yeah. it was a stepping stone for me to kind of get into running a business. I didn't, it wasn't very profitable. It wasn't um, the life and soul of what I would want, but it was something to get me started. And I appreciate having the opportunity from people to do that. Like, I was approached. It wasn't, I never went out to look for um, a barbershop at the time. I was I was a manager at a tattoo shop and I was doing barbering two days a week when I was approached to, do, to open the shop. So I was approached by um, a couple of people. Um, they asked me, can you do this? I was like, of course. Uh, you're talking to the right person. Let me get back to you because I'm not sure if I want to do it yet, um, et cetera, et cetera. They called me, they called me, called me. I was like, okay, let's do it. So we did it, et cetera. Um, and then from there, that was a small room, probably, what would you say, Tone, about 10 foot by about 6 foot? Yeah, it was pretty small, wasn't it? It was yeah. little. But... You, couldn't, but he... you couldn't swing a cat in it. Even then, though, you could see that there was... Um, I, I mean, bear in mind, I've lived quite a few places around the UK. Um, generally don't have one fixed 
place until later on when I've had my children, just moved around a little bit. So been in quite a few barbers and uh, it, you could see straight from the start that you had like quite a lot of creativity, quite a lot. You was innovative. You was willing to try new stuff. I remember the PlayStation being up in there. The You know, we would sit and watch movies in there. Uh, don't, oh, Carly's going to hear this and wonder. I used to tell her there was a big queue instead. I was sitting watching movies. In, in <laughs> but or I would speak to the gym. Um, but yeah, you, you know, you could see straight from the start that it wasn't going to be just your average, you know, two or three chairs. You go in, where you're going on your holiday, and then you get yourself out of there and there's no relationship. It felt like there was always going to be a connection and you was trying to achieve. And like you said, maybe the stepping stone you're trying to achieve new things and take a few risks in there. So what was that transition like then from being obviously working for somebody to being a business owner? What did you have to learn about? Um, a lot of reality. So you always, I, I always don't deal great with people telling me what to do. I never have, never will. I was the same at school. Um, I didn't get any GCSEs really to, to, to write about. Do you know what I mean? On my CV, though, when I was doing sales, it did say I had. No, no, I was just, I was just elaborating. Elaborate, create, being creative. Cre- yeah, yeah, creating. Sorry, not elaborating. Being creative with my, uh, with my grades. But um, what was I saying? Yeah, so from working from someone else, I mean, I had some really good people I worked for but I had some people that weren't great to work for. So when I was at Brad's Barbers in Upminster and in Shenfield, I worked with a great pair of owners. I worked with a guy called Bradley Jojo, um and Alex Perry, and they're still friends. I'm very good friends with Alex Perry, and I still talk to Brad far and few between, but there's no, there's no love lost there. The great guys, I really like them, and they taught me a lot. Um, I went to... After that, I worked in a shop in Hornchurch and I worked for a guy called Jake, um, another great guy, um, and I learned a lot from him. And I realised that more at Jake's that there was no boundaries to barbering. Like, if I have a shop, I can do what I want to do in the shop. And I kind of feel that he brought that out in me, but I also brought that out in him. Because when I like when I went to him, it was a smaller shop. It was busy, but it wasn't as busy. It was a bit of a different dynamic. And then me and Jake really, really got on. So for me, I took a lot from him as well, like how I want to be um, running a business. And kind of there's no level set. You can't tell me nothing because end of the day, it's my show. You either played my game or, or you don't. So And I always thought to myself growing up that, that I've got something to give. Uh, to people and it's not going to be the same as what everyone else does I don't play by anyone's rules but my own and that's another way that I don't deal good with people like the false profits thing you know uh, if if people get um, intimidated by me and my per- like you know me you know my personality is big and bold and I'm always a, and I'm a creative and, and I kind of I'm quite an innovative person so if people aren't on my page, let me do my thing because I know it's going to work. They get um, they get their backs up a little bit sometimes, um, and they don't like that because you. What I see, Tone. I don't know if you see it, but sometimes your staff can outvalue the owner. 
and owners and managers do not like that, so they'll always try and keep you down. But I, yeah, I mean, people do that out there. I'm, I'm lucky. I, I work with a, a great leadership team, and uh, I hope they don't say that about me. But I try to foster that creativity because ultimately I don't have the answers to all of the questions, and that's the whole point of employing team of people and that I've started to see more and more. It seems like you've got the right people in the right places now at Mars and Co. I'm sure we'll go into that. But you started to, when there was just two of you and you see it go to three, four, you've got the girls in there now as well. You start to see that that team build and you're gonna make some mistakes with your hiring and your firing and your you know your um your the the culture you're trying to create. But I think ultimately you you you're a creative person, so you want the best out of all of the people that are around you. I think you're going to surround yourself with other creative people. 100%. 100%. And that's where I kind of... I haven't really hand-picked my group, but I have. Do you know what I mean? So it's never been someone who's applied for a job, really. It's always been someone I know or someone I know knows them or something like that. So... My team now has always been through people that I know in like in like my circles. Yeah, I mean you've sort of done your um, your CV filtering already, haven't you? If you know them or you know of them, you can start to keep your eye on the talent around you. Start to look at what work they're doing and work out whether it's something that you can work with and that you want within your shop and your style. Um, so you've got yeah your recruiting policy. Yeah, you've already got people that you're aware of and stuff. But you can see that starting to foster now at Miles & Co. There's a different culture there as it's grown a little bit bigger. It's getting bigger every day. Every time I go in there, it's getting a little bit bigger and a little bit a little bit more wild. I think the other thing that I love about you and I love about the way that you run your business is that you're prepared to take risks. And it seems like you know they're not all going to come off, you know, but some of them you just think, Do you know what, let's get out there make some bold statements and if not, we'll be remembered for the, for the failure, but it'll be equally as successful because we'll have tried it and other people aren't trying that. Yeah, massively. Like we did an open day. I was like, everyone, 10 pound haircuts, walk-ins only. Cause you know, we're always appointment based at miles and co. I was like, we'll try and get some, some of the youngsters in. And it was a complete flop. I'm not going to lie to you. It was a complete <laughs> flop. No I one turned up that. because everyone thought we were fully booked. And um, it didn't work. And, okay, cool. It didn't work. But I, I've learned a lesson. And then yeah. I won't do those things in the future. But we've had parties in the shop. We have. We had, last year, we had, like, um, we had a summer solstice party. No, end of summer party. Barbecue, everyone just having a laugh. Everyone bought their own drinks, you know, things like that. And then we had like an 80s fancy dress party where everyone turned up in 80s fancy dresses. It's just a great atmosphere and a great kind of experience. And that's what I want. Yeah, it is. Um, You touched a little bit there, and I knew we'd end up in this subject somehow um, because we have both sat and we, you know, and you host your own podcast, which I'll. We'll talk about that in a bit as well. Um, One of the subjects that I wanted to come on to your podcast and talk about was was mental health. We never quite quite got it all lined up. It never quite got off, but we're here. We're together now. And maybe this is that opportunity that we was looking for. Because I know it's an area where both of us are quite passionate. You mentioned there 
for 11 years or so, you've suffered from some some mental health issues, uh, yeah. Issues, yeah. Um, do you want to talk about that? What do you want to say about it? So, basically, I I remember the first time I had an anxiety attack. I was walking to work from Potts Bar. I used to have to walk to the station when I was working in Hatton Garden. And I was walking down um, a road called The Walk, which is a mile long, and it takes you down to the station. And I remember just thinking, out of nowhere, boom, something hit me, and I had a panic attack, anxiety, anxiety attack. I rang my mum one day saying, I think you're having an anxiety attack. I thought I was having an asthma attack. I don't have asthma. But I thought I was having an asthma attack because I couldn't breathe. I was like, I cannot breathe. I'm freaking out. I don't know what's going on. I'm not going to work, basically. Anyway, from there... They said you had an anxiety attack. And then I kept suffering with it from then. And I was 21 years old. Um, I was living at my friend's house because I'd been kicked out um, by my parents for trying to fight my brother or saying stupid. Um, and, yeah, I it just hit me. So I was there dealing with that. And then since then, I've kind of dealt with it. Um, I've had counselling. I've been on sertraline which is an an antidepressant and deals with anxiety for 11 years, um, which I'm desperate to get off. But it's just finding that right time, being in the right frame of mind to get off. But it's helped me through. Like I was in a bad state where I was spaced out all the time. Um, I lost a job and then I was literally just playing on my Xbox all the time. This was at 22 years old and I was just spaced out. And do you know when you kind of, Stare into the distance and you just kind of focus on something and everything around you doesn't seem real. Yeah. That's, that was kind of my, my existence for a while, for a good couple of months. So I had to go to the doctors, get it all sorted, and I learned management techniques. And, uh, I mean, for, for anyone out there who's listening, who deals with um, mental health issues or anything like that, um, just know that you're stronger than it. I know, I know, I know. There's different mental health issues, but from what I've dealt with, I know that I'm stronger than my mental health. And I've broke, I, I literally broke it down into, it's a fight or flight thing. It's trying to make me think um, that something's happening, but it's not. Even with like health anxiety or anything like that, you know that you're you're not going to die ultimately. So. Yep. Uh, breathing techniques, breathe out more than you breathe in for longer. Um, just because if you hyperventilate, that's just too much oxygen getting in your body. You're breathing too fast. So breathe out for six, breathe in for four kind of thing. Yeah. But um, yeah, so, so anyone out there that deals with it, feel free to inbox me if you want on uh, Instagram, Facebook, whatever. I'm always here to listen. I'm a barber. That's what we do. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's affected me, but I have down days like I, I do. And I was terrified of this uh, this lockdown that we're all in because when I'm in my house too long, I get cabin fever. And when I get yeah. cabin fever, I get unmotivated. I get spaced out. So if I'm having a bit of a bad day, I'll say to people, I'm feeling wavy. So I feel yeah. like I'm drunk. I'm not drunk, but I feel like I'm drunk. I feel wavy. And they know what that means. Like, my closest people know what that means. If they're saying, how are you feeling? I'm like, oh, I feel a bit wavy. They're like, have you had your tablets? Like, all my people that know, like, have you had your tablets today? Because I, I, I do miss them sometimes, and it will affect me. So, 
the wavy the wavy ones are kind of the the worst days but i kept through them with the support of my fiance april my kids are always here my brother now lives with me um i've got my friends my friend group the guys i work with also in that friend group um and everyone i'm very honest about it and it just helps to talk really yeah you you talked there about that anxiety attack 21 years old walking to to work do you did you ever figure out what's triggered that? And then what do you have triggers now that, um, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know what triggered it. Um, it is something that I, I, I have no idea what triggered it. I never have done. I never will do. Um, it's just something that's just has hit me out of nowhere. Um, I don't think there has to be a trigger. Um, but yeah, nothing really triggers me except for when I've had money issues, it gets a bit on top of me, I get more depressed and stuff like that. But I don't have direct triggers like, do you know, do you know what I mean? It's not yeah, just yeah. cut and yeah. shut, it's just it just hits me around me. To be fair, when whenever I've had any bouts of anxiety, there's there's never a pattern for them, and you can end up trying to search for a trigger, but then that becomes the trigger, the search. and I think yeah. I remember having an anxiety attack many years ago, uh, walking out of a hospital carrying a box, and I fell over in this bus stop, right? Nobody came to help me. I thought, honestly, mate, I thought I was going to die that day. I really did. All yeah. of the symptoms of an anxiety attack are exactly the same as, like you say, an asthma attack or a heart attack. I thought, yeah. this is the end. I'm going to die in a bus stop in Northwick Park Hospital at like 28 years old or something, I thought, what, a, carrying a cardboard box, what a way to go. Um, and, and eventually, somehow, I managed to calm myself down, get back to the car, I ran Carly, I drove home, I went to a and E. I was like, oh my God, what is wrong with me? I think I'm dying. They're like, right, listen, mate, you just had an anxiety attack, you're not going to die, you've got to be okay, you know. And then, like you say, you, 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 you don't ever get rid of those things, I think you just learn to manage them, you learn to understand when they're coming you understand what your not necessarily your triggers but the feelings inside you that are generating when that's happening yeah key things for me in all of that was that i thought when that happened i must be the only person that this has ever happened to me too me too because if if everybody's suffering with this why is no one saying anything about it and you know what mate it was because they were all equally as embarrassed or as shy or as nervous to open up about that now, luckily, I'm glad I went through that situation because now I can recognise it in other people. Yes, yeah, same. It's happening. I can see when it's happening to my friends. I can see when it's happening to, to Carly. I can see when it's happening to other people. And I can recognise the symptoms. And sometimes I can just say, listen, mate, that happened to me and you're going to be okay. You're going to learn to deal with it. But there's yep. so many people out there that suffer from it but believe they're the only ones. I've had clients and friends and stuff come to me saying, I think I'm dealing really badly with anxiety and stuff. How do you deal with it? Because I've never been shy when I talk to customers, no matter who you are, if it comes up, I'll tell you that I've been dealing with it. So I've had people come to me like, Miles, I don't know what's happening to me, et cetera, et cetera. And I say, look, if you've got anxiety and this is what's happening to you, number one, you're not going to die from anything. Like I, I must have had a, ambulances out three or four times haven't in the last kind of six seven years but i've had ambulances out thinking i'm having a heart attack 
They've come, they've checked me, nothing. I've had ECGs, nothing. They're like, you've got a, you've got a very strong heart. There's no issue here. And sometimes that's all you needed to hear. Yeah, a bit so, of they should. Yeah, just, just, just to back up. Like, you're like, oh, thank God for that. But don't be embarrassed about it. It's something that does happen. Um, if you've got, like, issues, health issues, anything like that, people do get really paranoid about it because ultimately life's precious and very, very short at exactly the same time. So recently, yeah. like, go on, go on. No, one of my one of my biggest things about it was embarrassment. I was scared that I would have this episode of an anxiety attack or I would start to get that feeling inside me. And some of my very close friends and my close work friends who I um, talk to, I've, you know, I opened up to a couple of people about it. And that that really helped me telling people about certain things. Um, yeah, not, yeah. A major issue anymore it comes and goes as it as it needs to but i've learned how to manage it one of the big ones is alcohol is a big one for me like if i go have too much the day after can be a real struggle but i recognize that now um but yeah once i started to open up to people and started to realize well you know what if i do have an anxiety attack at least now a couple of people who i'm probably going to be with i'll know what's going on they'll be able to help yeah. share my pain a little bit at that moment in time and They've been amazing about it, those people that they always are. They, I won't mention their names, but they'll know who they are, Carly and some of my friends, some of my friends from work. I think just sharing that is massively important because you end up, especially as a boy, and like yourself, like you say, you're quite loud and you're out there. People look at it and they think, no way would that guy ever suffer from these things. Look how like cool he is. Look at, you know, I look at you and you think, there's no way that's even a thing, but it, it happens to the best people out there. A hundred percent. Even even Robin Williams, you know, the guy looks you know like at like our generations kind of growing up, Robin Williams was a was a like a shining light, wasn't he? And do you know what I mean? For me it's it's very relatable to seeing him wearing his mask, um, to me wearing mine, um, in front of certain people and you know, I don't know if you'd like relate to that, but that's kind of when he passed uh, and the reasons he did. I feel that was because of certain certain things that I could relate to. Yeah, on, we talked on the episode just last week with Sherry Miles. She talked a little bit about coming to a turning point in her life where she decided like she's got to take control, like you have, of her own destiny because it was just getting a bit too much for her. And I think that's what's great about most of the people on the podcast. None of these people are perfect. We've all got our flaws. Everyone's got their issues underneath, but they learn that how to beat them or how to manage them. And then they learn how to take charge of their own destiny. Because I think ultimately, if you're in control of as much of that as you possibly can, you can control your environment, you can control your, you know, your circle, then you have a better chance of getting through um, through those situations. And I, I like the point you made there about wearing a mask because that was something that Sherry said on the last podcast as well about you go into your job, you put this big smile on, you do what you do, and as soon as the door shuts, you're exhausted because you've been acting. Yeah. You've just been acting your whole day. And that's so tiring for people. Yeah, yeah, massively. It's, it's a front. A lot of people put on a front just to get you through the day. But realistically... That is just even without mental health, people you you have to do that. 
Imagine people working in customer service, how much they have to bite their tongue. Yeah. Like, it's just being it's just being professional sometimes. Um, and the people that I, uh, going back to the point you said about you've told a few people, and 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 how much better did that make you feel? Like I used to, I remember when I start, started dealing with it, I'd say to people, "Look, I might freak out, but just let just know, just leave, just make sure people leave me the fuck alone. <laughs> I don't need people coming up to me saying, Are you all right? Do you want some water? Just leave me alone. Yeah, I'm gonna be fine. All it's gonna take is ten, fifteen minutes for me to get over it." Um, and 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 that's it. And it makes you feel a lot better because if you said to someone, I'm stucking out, I'm freaking out a bit, they then understand and then you feel at ease more because they're not, you're not going to have people coming up to you saying, what's the matter, what's the matter? I remember when I was coming home from London, I used to have panic attacks, anxiety attacks on the train. And I used to always travel with my friend Joe and he saw it day in, day out. And I'd just be like, I'm freaking out. It's just, just just don't talk to me <laughs> and, he'd, and, then, and he'd be cool with that because he'd know that's the same I was dealing with even though he wished he could help me but there's nothing he could do to help me I just had to keep my mind active and off the fact that I'm freaking out yeah get and off that, that topic uh, get off the freaking out topic because then you start freaking out that you're freaking out yeah 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 and it's like a horrible spiral but <laughs> when you learn to manage it because it is manageable it, there's no cure for having that like within the first year I realised to myself I'm going to have this for the foreseeable future yeah. like, I will die have with anxiety not of anxiety with anxiety but <laughs> yeah yeah I I realised that and then I thought well the only step forward is being able to manage it and when I'm about to freak out if I can manage it to a point where it's just a switch then that's what I'll do and that's what I've done <laughs> so I know if I'm going to freak out I know if I'm going to have a session a session uh, uh, like an anxiety sesh do you yeah. know what I mean I know if, I, if it's coming on and I'll just switch what I'm doing and then just get just get away from it or if it's late at night and I'm staying up late I'll just go to sleep I'll be like alright I'm freaking yeah. out I'm thinking too much here yeah, I'm just going to go to sleep yeah. and that helps as well but yeah, obviously I think one of the things whenever I've been in that situation is <laughs> the aftermath of the panic attack because you're exhausted like it literally yeah takes some serious toll on your body at that time and you end up feeling like you've run 10 marathons you know with heavy shoes on and you need to rest for a little while and I think the advice I've got for anyone who suffers from anxiety or is thinking that after the conversation they've heard us talking about that they might be suffering from anxiety is just tell the people closest to you let them know when it's happening start to recognize the triggers the signs, the feelings that it does to you, and you can ride them out, you know, it, you're right, don't die from anxiety attacks, but you feel like it at the time. But once you've got that little circle around you, it feels like you've lifted a weight once you've told a few people. Massively, massively. And if you're having an anxiety attack, no one has ever died from an anxiety attack. Yeah. Exactly. You will not die from anxiety attacks. And once you realise you're having an anxiety attack or that you're dealing with anxiety, you will not die, but you will learn to manage it. So yeah. just know from from me and Tone, who have been through these things, you will learn to manage it. And it won't be like this forever. If you're just dealing with it now and it's a new thing, it won't be like this forever. Speak to some people. Um, take the toll down a little bit. Get it off your shoulders. 
and it will help. Learn some breathing techniques, things like yoga, things like meditation will help you a lot. Yeah, agreed, mate. Completely agree. Let's get back onto Miles and Cole then, mate. So you've gone through Stag and Dagger. You make the decision to uh, open the new shop down in Benfleet. Miles and Cole, the idea's born. Um, and this is the one where I've really seen the creative side of you and that feels a bit like the shackles are off. Like the, the one at Rip Gym was someone else's gym with the with the with the shop in it, which you said was a great opportunity. But this one looks like the shackles are off, mate. There's no limits. Creativity is, is at its highest. And uh, you've made the decision to go. How did that all come about? So when I was at Stag and Dagger, I was cutting uh, a friend's hair and his stepdad came in um, and he took up with me. He got on with me a lot. He really liked what I was doing and he made me an offer. Um, to open up, go bigger, go like he basically offered a partnership with me, and this was a few months into me opening Stag and Dagger. So what I said was, no, I've got to stay with the people that had invested in me, which was the owners of Rip Gym. I've got to stay by them uh, because they've invested in me. Um, I've got to kind of stay this out. I can't just up and leave instantly because I've had a better offer. I owe them. Um, a virtue to kind of just to wait it out and just to kind of do my thing there. Anyway, long long story short, it came to being there 18 months and he approached me again and things were a little bit different at that time. So I said, okay, let's do it. So we were looking for shops for a, for a month or two, um, having a look, doing this, that and the other. And then we found the place in Benfleet. Someone had already put an offer in on the building. Um, so that was so that was a no-go. I get an email a few weeks later saying uh, the people that were interested originally have completely disappeared. They're not signing the paperwork. So I've gone, right, can we go view it? We went viewed it, et cetera, et cetera. It was a shithole. It was an old... It was called The Market Shop, which was like a complete tut shop. They used to have stuff out on the front. Uh, it was it it was terrible. It still had like old looking pub carpet, full of dirt. It was just rat shit all in the ceiling and everything. Anyways, we got in there, ripped it all down, and we turned it around within four weeks. From the day we got the keys, in four weeks later we were open. And I had, as you say, the shackles were off. I had a business partner with me who really, really, really had my back. He had no interest apart from helping me out and making it successful for both of us. Um, so he said, whatever you want, we'll do. As long as you're not picking £20,000 lights or, <laughs> or something like that, we'll, we'll do it. It's fine. So I said, I want scaffolding throughout pretty much. Um, I want granite worktops. I want scaffold poles. I want this flooring, that flooring. Um, I want neon lights. I want a bar area. I want three 55-inch tellies in the waiting area. I want uh, a room for a hairdresser. I want enough space for 10 barbers. Um, and I want it to be contemporary. I want it to be my way. I want it to be painted grey on the walls that weren't. I wanted a wall that looks like cement. And he just said, yes, 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 yes. Got the builders in. I was, don't get me wrong, I was dead grafted. It wasn't just like, oh, someone signed me uh, a blank cheque. It wasn't that at all. It was just they took my creativity because they approached me. 
again, another one, like everyone seems to approach me. Like when I worked, when I was a Wild Ambassador, they approached me. I didn't approach them. I don't approach people to be part of their thing. They approach me. And that's something I, I, I'm quite proud of, that people do find themselves magnetised to me and what I can do for them. So anyway, back to the shop. We got it all done. We had the Sparkies in. We had the builders in. My business partner's cousin was the builder. Lovely geezer. Got him with them. I was there literally. One day I was there literally 22 hours of the day just because I was there throughout the day with the builders. And then the Sparkies were coming to do their private work of the night. Um, and I was just there throughout. I was literally a glorified labourer. Um <laughs> But it made me feel that my blood, sweat and tears were in the foundations of this business. And it's made me really respect the whole journey a lot more. So, so yeah, and the creativity of it was, uh, was me, basically. What, and, he, and he backed me up, so it was good. What is, the, what is the culture that you're trying to create there? I mentioned in your promo it's a mixture between socializing and barbering and you know a little bit of this thrown in there a little bit of that but when you sat down and you wanted to create this culture if you could just like describe it in words I know that that's sometimes difficult to do but what 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 did you visualize what was it you wanted I wanted a barbershop like no other I didn't want a barbershop like everyone else's because there's it's like there's barbering for dummies and that's what you do and that's how everything should be and I wanted something with more character so since since you've been coming in time you've seen we had the wood the wall wood with the burnt wood effect all over it and stuff like that and then we had a wall that we literally just got plastered and just lobbed a load of cement on and then painted grey and since then we've kind of we stripped all that back we've whitewashed all the wood we've put in two hairdressing sections and another hairdressing section we've we've moved forward with it and and for me it was i wanted it to be miles and co barbering and social club so the social club is that's why i felt it necessary to have three 55 inch 4k tellies in our shop <laughs> because i want the kids waiting for their dad to be able to play Fortnite or fifa on an xbox yeah and then someone else could be watching the football results on another telly because we've got sky and Sky Sports, so you could be watching the football um, on the weekend um, in the shop because we're paying for the legitimate one in the shop, you know. And then another one there could be YouTube on with like hairdressing stuff or barbering stuff, or or it'd be something Netflix or do you know what I mean? Just different things happening yeah. well, in the shop, so you're not bored because people aren't interested when you're bored. It's, it's, it caters for a lot of age groups as well. My my youngest boy is five years old. He loves it. I said to him, right, I'm going to get your hair cut. And he's like, oh, going to Miles's. And like, and his mum might say, oh, no, I'm going to take you up the town. He's like, no, nah, I'll leave it. I'm not bothered. Five years old. And that's because <laughs> that's cause you've got all them arcade games, mate. And when he comes in, he can do whatever he wants. He literally sits where he wants, eats what he wants, drinks what he wants. Um, and I think that makes it a big deal because – you know, I remember I used to go to the barbers with my dad. And that was like an important thing to do. It was part of the point Felt like yeah. I was turning into a man if my dad said, oh, should we go and get our hair cut together? It wasn't a chore. It was like an event and he would get a shave and all stuff like that. So it's kind of a bit of a, uh, you know, 
maybe there's there's other stuff to it, but a bit of a dads and lads thing that I've I've felt out of that. And when I take my eldest boy and my youngest boy at the same time, knowing that the environment is going to be a great place to be as well, it's just a, a you know a great thing to be involved in. So you're doing amazing there, mate. And it changes every time I come in. So the creativity yeah. has not been, not been uh, stemmed yet because every time I come, you've changed something. Or oh, there's something new or there's a new gadget that we've bought or something stupid, you know. And that's what we like to do, though. We're always they're like, is that new? Like, yeah. Oh, is that new? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always something like the door boxes, they were new. Yeah. And then we'd have an Xbox in there that was new. Then we'd, de- we'd decorate it again. We'd put two new sections in. And everyone's just like, Miles, do you ever stop? And I'm like, <laughs> I, the only reason I don't stop is because if you get you, you get stale and no one eats stale bread. <laughs> That's not a bad little uh, quote there, mate, from Miles Lewis. Cheers, mate. You heard it here first. No one eats stale bread. It's true. Yeah, it's no, true. Love it, mate. Um, <laughs> so um, I just want to cover really what's ne- what's next for you, apart from changing the decoration every week in the uh, in the shop. What what do you think's next for you? Um, more shops ultimately. Um, it's a conversation that we have had um, me and my business partner. Um, so we do want to move forward with that. I want to do a lot more work with Osmo as well. Um, I was meant to be doing some sort of I can't really say too much about it because it was all it's all under wraps still. But I was meant to be doing something with them uh, around the country uh, to mark um, a special occasion for the company. Uh, but I can't do that now because of Corona. But um, anything like that, I just want to push forward with the creativity, carry on with our podcast, uh, the pulled up socks, the barbershop and pulled up socks podcast on everything, yeah, etc. Et let's, et let's plug it while we're here. So if you have heard Miles has his own podcast, tell us a little bit about what it's about, mate. Um, it's a, it's called the barbershop and pulled up socks, uh, literally because we recorded it in my barbershop. And... Tony will back me up. Um, we all wear pulled up socks, and he, in fact, did buy us all um, a pair of socks to pull up um, when he when the uh, podcast first was released. Yeah. So pre- appreciate that, Tony. We all, we all pulled them up higher. <laughs> there were Kappa ones, I think. I thought they might go down well with the crew. The Kappa. Yeah, they did very well. To set for myself, I haven't really had the. I've worn them a couple of times, mate, but I am a bit older than you guys and not quite as cool. I, I can't pull off the pulled-up socks, mate. So, but what... you need you need to get a pair of shorts, pull up, pull them socks up, and get some sliders, mate. Yeah. Summer holiday. Send you a picture later. I got some uh, new Jordans for my birthday. I'll send you a picture later, mate. They're proper. Love that. Proper. Love that. But um, so what's the podcast all about? Uh, everything and anything, uh, conspiracy theory, sexuality, work, um, current affairs, politics, um, you name it, we cover it. And uh, yeah, we've done season one, that wrapped. Then we've done two episodes of season two. Um, we haven't done it for ages, to be fair, because we've had a lot going on in the shop and uh, and just personal stuff going on uh, um, before all this corona stuff. And as we was about to record it, that was the last Saturday we were allowed open. So um, we're probably going to do what we've done here, Tone, and do it... Um, remote. A bit further. Yeah, remote, remotely. But, yeah, it's literally anything and everything. We have a laugh. We talk shit. We talk sense. Um, it's me, um, 
Dean Quinton, who works for me, uh, he's on it as well. And then we have like special guests. Uh, we also have our regular host guests as well, uh, like Cody, uh, Alfie Grek, um, and many more voices you will have heard. Yeah, I love it. It's a great podcast. If you haven't listened to it, check it out. Barbershop, Pulled Up Socks. It's on Spotify. I think it's on Apple Play as well, isn't it? It's on a few of them anyway. Get an Apple yeah, it's on all of them. I'll t- well, I'll chuck some out at the end of this, mate. When I, re- when I throw this one out, I'll put out some more advert for that as well. It's a great podcast. Some top subjects with a right laugh. The theme is just to have a laugh about it. And uh, yeah, I love it, mate. So uh, keep that work up. I appreciate it, buddy. Thank you. So um, we know what's next. Well, we don't know what's next because you're keeping a little bit of under wraps. But what I do know about it is there's always more coming. There's something else. Always. Um, I'm going to wrap it up there, mate. I've had an absolute buzz for the last hour or so with you. It's a pleasure we get. There's always other people in the background in the shop or I'm with my kids and we don't get the one-on-one so often, but we've had it tonight and I've really enjoyed it. I think one of the big themes that I've got from, from all of this um, some great tips in there about managing anxiety. Slightly separate to that, though, was the bit about working in toxic environments. And if you don't like the environment that you're in, change it and create your own. And that is exactly what I've seen you do, mate, on a number of occasions. Stag and Dagger with a set, um, stepping sound. Miles and Co. has got your stamp all over it, mate, and it's a great place to go. If anyone's in the Essex area, they're in Benfleet, they're in Southend, Canvey Island, Fundersley, all of those areas, Check out Miles & Co. on Benfleet High Street. It's on Instagram. Um, you'll find it anywhere. It's an amazing shop and a great place to go. Uh, good vibe about it. So, uh, yeah, check it out. I appreciate that, bud. Right. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for your time. Um, it's a Monday evening. I'll let you get to whatever it is that you're doing. Maybe we can uh, sort some out in the next few weeks if we're still stuck at home. Drop out a little bit of an Instagram live one, maybe. Uh, yeah I'd love that your podcast can meet my podcast and uh, we can have a little chat about things that are going on it'd be great to uh, keep up the comms mate yeah we do a little crossover it that'd be quite cool I'll wear the pulled up socks mate and the Jordans yeah deal yeah send me a picture we've got a deal bro All right. well thank you very much for your time mate have a great evening that's Never Press News episode 11 with Miles Lewis Good night. <laughs>